0: Uh, When I was a kid, uh, my favorite magazine, like most kids I guess, uh, like me, uh, my favorite magazine was Sports Illustrated and one of my favorite sports writers uh, was Rick Riley and he always had a reoccurring segment in Sports Illustrated called The Life of Riley, I think is what it was called. Uh, But there's one particular article that has stuck with me over the years and I wanted to take just a couple minutes and and read you that article because it, it really speaks to what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, The title of the article uh, back then was called Speaking of Class to the Graduating Class. And and he writes this article uh, as if he's writing a graduation address, speaking to college athletes that are now becoming professional athletes. So he speaks as a graduation speaker and the audience is a college group of athletes uh, who are now going pro. And this this is what he writes. He says, thank you graduates. Please be seated. It's an honor to address the college athletes who are gonna go on to the pros this year. If I may, I'd like to offer just a few pieces of advice. Every now and again, turn off the video games. Turn off Netflix and open a book. We already have enough jocks who thinks the Brothers Karmalazov are the professional wrestling tag team champs. If you ever hear yourself saying, they offered me 81 million, what an insult. He said, find a tire iron, go into a quiet room and hit yourself very hard on the shin over and over again. (laughs) And marry someone who's never heard of you. And now that you've made it, practice twice as long as you did in college. If you write a book, read it before it comes out. Be careful with your money, write your own checks, none of this power of attorney crap. Get an agent and a lawyer and tell the other that the other's a crook. Shock the world, apologize when you screw up. Don't buy a Vanderbilt mansion just because you can. Do you know how many 50-room jock palaces I've been in with two rooms worth of cheap furniture in it? Okay, so you didn't grow up with a father, then go be one. Make a difference in the life of one kid who is not your own and it'll give you more joy than a lifetime shoe contract. Just a reminder, you're gonna die someday, so stop thumping your chest. The line blocked, the quarterback threw you a perfect spiral while getting his head knocked off, and the good receiver drew double coverage. Get over yourself. Once a season, let your offensive guard spike the ball. See the woman up there in section 595, row WW, seat 29? She makes $26,000 a year, paid $22 a ticket for her family and just plunked down $27 for three cokes and a warm beer. Treat her nice. Without her, you're a 320-pound bouncer with half a PE degree. (laughs) Love that. Also, go easy on the tattoos. By the time you're 60, that hula girl on your biceps gonna look like Barney on the Andy Griffith Show. (laughs) This just in. You can do community service without being sentenced to do so. Try it, have somebody leak it to the media. There's worse things than people seeing a millionaire painting an old lady's house. Remember, these are all just games. This is the career you picked. If you can't handle the public scrutiny or deal with the strangers graciously, become a taxidermist. Read everything about you, good or bad, then forget about it. No matter what you do, half the people are gonna love you, half the people are gonna hate you, you can't fight it. Oh yeah, don't forget to help your opponent up. He'll probably be your teammate next year. No offense, but when you're setting off the airport metal detector from the back of the line, you may have too much jewelry on. For the next 10 years or so, you're gonna travel the world first class. You're gonna laugh yourself sore on a team bus and get paid half a Zurich. So let's not hear a lot of whining, okay? So what if the Oakley deal fell through? We'll start a telethon and this is the part I love. One last thing, remember when you were a kid, all you dreamed of was playing center field for the New York Yankees. Soon, that's where you're gonna be standing. Don't forget to tingle. What I love about that particular article is that he's saying to a group of people who've been doing this for a long time, he says, hey, don't ever forget what it was like for you when you first got started. Don't ever forget. I need you to remember what it was like when you dreamed of these days. Remember the joy of the game. Remember the passion, the excitement, the eagerness. Remember all the hard work that you put in, and it didn't even feel like hard work because you just loved it that much. Don't forget about how motivated you were year after year, year after year. You go out and you play for hours. You come in and you grab a quick bite to eat. And you go out and you practice for more hours just because you loved to play the game. His advice was hold on to that. Don't let go of that. Don't let the game that you have loved all your life now become a job. Don't let it just become a career. Don't take it for granted. Don't let the sparkle fade. Don't let the glitter wear off. Don't forget that where you're standing, most people will only dream of standing there. So when you're standing there, don't forget the tingle. Don't miss the emotion of it. Don't be numb to it. Don't be callous to it. Don't forfeit your passion. Don't forfeit your joy, your excitement, your gratitude to familiarity. And that's what I wanna talk about today. Now, I wanna tell you, because I've told you this before, uh, this, this is not like a sermon sermon. This is kind of like a family talk kind of thing. So, you know, if you're here and you say, that's not much of a sermon, I, I told you beforehand, it's not much of a sermon. But this is what I wanna talk about because familiarity is what robs us of the tingle in life. It, it's what robs us of emotion. It's what robs us of appreciation in life. And it happens all the time. The thing that used to excite us The thing that we used to be grateful for, the thing that we were once passionate about, it becomes familiar to us and then we become numb to it and we become callous to it and it just becomes ordinary. The glitter wears off. What was once new, it becomes old. What was once extraordinary is now ordinary, now even expected. What we once celebrated with all the joy that we had within us has now just become common. It's the enemy of familiarity. And that can happen in your life and it can happen in my life. Max Licato, he, he wrote about it and he said it far better than I could ever say it. So I'm just gonna read you something, it's a little bit lengthy, but I, I, just, I want you to, to zone in on this because this is so good and it's so applicable and, and this is what we're talking about for the next few minutes. He says, he had been on my trail for years and I never knew it, but I know it now I've come to recognize his tactics and detect his presence, and I'm doing my best to keep him out. His aim is deadly, his goal is nothing less than take what is most precious to us and make it appear as most common. To say that this agent of familiarity brings contempt is to let him off easy. Contempt is just one of his offspring. He also sires broken hearts, wasted hours, and an insatiable desire for more. He is an expert in robbing the sparkle and replacing it with dread. He invented the yawn, he put the hum and humdrum, and his strategy is deceptive. He won't steal your salvation. He'll just make you forget what it was like to be lost. You'll grow accustomed to prayer and thereby not pray. Worship will become commonplace and study will be optional. And through the passing of time, he'll infiltrate your heart with boredom and cover the cross with salve so that you'll be safely out of reach of pain. Nor will he steal your home from you. He'll do something far worse. He'll paint it with a coat of plastic. He'll replace evening gowns with bathrobes. Night not on the town with evenings in the recliner and romance with routine. He'll scatter the dust of yesterday over the wedding pictures until they become a memory of another couple in another time. He won't take your children. He'll just make you too busy to notice them. He'll whisper to procrastinate. His whispers to procrastinate are seductive. There's always next summer to coach the team, next month to go to the lake, next week to teach Shauna how to pray. He'll make you forget that the faces around your table will soon be at tables of their own. Hence, stories will go unread, games unplayed, hearts will go unnurtured, and opportunities will go unnoticed. All because the poison of the ordinary has deadened your system senses to the magic of the moment. Before you know it, the little face that brought tears to your eyes in the delivery room has become perish the thought common. And unless something changes, unless someone wakes you up, the common kid in your home could become the common stranger all because of familiarity and it's an enemy, and it's working against all of us, and it works against all of us in every single area of life. Familiarity, it stifles faith, it squashes gratitude, it extinguishes passion, it steals excitement, and it suffocates wonder, that's what it does, and that's why it's such a deadly thing. That's why it's poisonous, it's why it's toxic. It it makes faith difficult to grow. It actually stifles our faith. It squashes gratitude because we just, we're just we so numb and so blind to the goodness that's around us, to the blessings that are around us, to the benefits that are around us, that, that we don't even think about it anymore. And because we're not consciously thinking about it, we don't consciously recognize it, and we don't acknowledge it, and we don't sense any gratitude for it, and we don't express gratitude for it. And so we begin walking around without real a real sense of gratitude for the things that we should be most grateful about. It extinguishes our passion, We were once passionate, I mean, just full of energy, but the more familiar what we were passionate about became, our passion kind of faded away. It, It steals our excitement and... It suffocates wonder. All of a sudden, now we're just walking around, and nothing causes us to wonder anymore. We can walk outside at night, and the stars are there, and the moon is there, and and we no longer have a sense of wonder. We can walk out, and we can see the sun shining, and we can see the trees blooming, and we can feel the wind blowing, and we can hear the rain falling, you know, on fresh freshly cut grass, and we can smell, and, and we just it just doesn't it just doesn't strike us as wonderful anymore because it's also ordinary to us because it's become so familiar. And this happens in marriages. You remember, you know, when you were dating, you know, with your, with your special somebody, your, your honey, your hubby, your wife, and, and you were dating once upon a time and you just, you could talk all night long. It's like now you try to think about what in the world did we talk about all night long? I know we talked all night long, but what in the world were we talking about? You have no idea, but you talked all night long. Now you just grunt at each other from across the table in the room. It's like, are you hungry? Uh-huh You want to eat, Mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, just a couple words here and there. Happens in families, happens with friendships. You know, it's like, oh man, they're friends. We've become friends with them. We love them all. We can't wait to hang out with them. We're hanging out with them like twice a week, you know, three times a month. And you know, like they're the best people. We love them. We can't get enough of them. And then all of a sudden, the new wears off, and it's like, well, we haven't seen them in a few weeks. And it's like, well, we haven't seen them in a few months. Like, do we still have their number? You know, it's like, what happened? You know, or our careers? You know, when we first started, it was like we show up early and stay late. Now we show up late and leave early. And it's like we're kind of just bored with it. And it's like it doesn't matter to us anymore. happens with the new car, especially with new cars. You remember you got that new car and it's like, okay, okay, we got a new car and this time, we're not, we're not gonna eat in this car. We're not gonna eat in this car like all the other cars. You've done this. I, I, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's like, we're, we're, gonna, we're not ever gonna let this car get nasty. We're not ever gonna let it get dirty. No Sharpies in the car, no drinks in the car, no food in the car. Hey, listen, this car is staying completely clean for its entire existence and and that's good for about three months and for some of you who are really committed you you can go even six months and then it's that first morning to school and you're trying to get everybody out the door and and little johnny doesn't have a sausage and egg cheese biscuit he's not been able to finish and he's like oh mom i'm I'm so hungry Uh, do i have to leave it behind and you're like "Mm, no bring it you you, you eat it in the car but this is the last time we're not going to do this again and then after that, the floodgates are open and now your car looks just like every other car because you know the, the newness wore off and, and it just became more familiar and the appreciation lessened. And, and it happens, you know, it just happens. And unfortunately for Christians, it happens with our faith. Once upon a time, we were like sold out. Once upon a time, we were committed, we were bought in. Once upon a time, I mean, we 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 enjoyed Bible study. We enjoyed getting up early and reading our Bibles and spending some time in prayer, even though we weren't quite sure what we were reading or what we were saying. But but we enjoyed it. We loved, you know, just having moments when we could concentrate on, you know, what God has done for us and and, and just all of those things. We loved to come to church. We loved being involved. All the things that fed our faith. We just couldn't get enough of it. It was like, ah, oh, this is incredible. And then all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, those things became less meaningful to us. We we started to appreciate those things a little bit less and less. And it wasn't because those things didn't work anymore. It's just because it became familiar to us. It became common. And familiarity is always working against us in my faith and in your faith. But here's what I wanna talk about today just for us here on this Sunday uh, leading up to Easter. I I wanna talk about that this can also happen in churches. This can happen in churches and I don't want that to become the story of this church. I don't want our church to become a victim of familiarity. You see the gravitational pull of the local church is towards familiarity, especially among the people who are most committed and the most engaged because you're here more than anybody else. You're closer than anybody else. So it's gonna become most familiar to you before it becomes familiar to anybody else. And for those of us who are part of the church, we've all seen this happen, we've all heard stories about this. Churches that once upon a time were just full of passion, but now it's just full of apathy. Uh, Churches that once upon a time where people were so excited, people were just completely excited about what God was doing and the prospects of what God may do, but that excitement gave way to boredom and now the church is just bored. Once upon a time the church was focused, but now it seems distracted. Once upon a time, you know, we've heard stories about churches that were just just totally committed, but now it's like complacency has taken over. Where growth was, now it's stagnant. And when that kind of thing happens, when a church becomes victim to familiarity, churches that were once hungry for more, for better, for greater, they become full, they become satisfied, they become content and they stop dreaming about tomorrow. They stop thinking about a vision. They stop thinking about where we're going and they begin to reminisce about, reminisce about yesterday and they spend all their time thinking about where we were. When this happens in churches, it's churches that once upon a time, the only thing they wanted to do was please God, please God, please God, please God. But somewhere along the way, it became more about pleasing people. And so the church began to take the pulse of everybody to make sure everybody's satisfied, everybody's comfortable, everybody's good with everything that's going on. And and now the most important thing is to please the people. And Paul said, if you're worried about pleasing people, you might as well forget about pleasing God. When it happens in churches, it's the churches that once upon a time, they were so committed to reaching outsiders, reaching outsiders, reaching outsiders, and then somewhere along the way, it became about keeping the insiders. And we don't want that to happen here. We we don't want to be the story of a church who once upon a time made the main thing, the main thing. And then somewhere along the way, trivial things became the most important things. We don't want that to be our story. You don't want that to be our story. And that's why I wanna talk about it today because this is not like a treatment. This is like a vaccine because some of us have been here for a while. I've been here now almost 18 years. Some of you have been here for a few years now. Some of you are fresh and, and, and it's still fresh you and thank God for that, but, but for some of us, we're working against the agent called familiarity. We're, we're working against the enemy and the poison of familiarity. And, and here's some things I just wanna take a moment to remind us. that that maybe you know but maybe you don't think about very often. We are the church, we are the church. The church is not a building, it's not an address, it's not a denomination. Uh, The church is a group of people who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, who died for our sins, was buried and was raised from the dead. That doesn't matter if you're Baptist or Pentecostal or non-denominational or Episcopalian. If you believe that that's who Jesus is, then you are part of the church because everyone who believes that has been invited to become part of the church. So we are all part of the church, big C. But I wanna zero in and talk about church little c and make it a bit more personal and say that we are this church. That means that when we talk about what God's doing in and through the Creek Church, what we're actually talking about is what God is doing in and through us. Because what God is doing in and through us is a reflection, is a reflection of what God is doing in and through his church. And what God is doing in and through his church is just a reflection of what God's doing in and through his people. So we are this church, and then to make it a bit more personal, you are this church, I am this church. And not a single one of us wanna become a victim to familiarity. We don't want our faith to become a victim of familiarity. We don't want God's activity in and through our lives to become a victim to familiarity. Because familiarity can not only cause us to miss God's activity, and not only cause us to miss God's best, it can actually cause us to miss God himself. And we see this happening all throughout scripture. But in one particular passage in the gospels, and it's actually a passage that I've never, I've never preached a sermon on, I've read it many times, and in one particular verse you've heard probably hundreds of times, But but it's a passage of scripture that reminds us just how dangerous familiarity can be. And and it's really quite a sobering passage when when we look at it in in its context. And so we pick it up in in Mark chapter six. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, which was Nazareth because Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus the Nazarene. He he left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. just to get a little bit of background, Jesus has been busy doing ministry for probably a year, maybe a little bit longer than a year, and he's been doing ministry all throughout Galilee, north of Jerusalem. And his headquarters uh, has pretty much been in Capernaum. So he's been headquartered in Capernaum and he's been just wandering and, and traveling throughout all the areas of Galilee. And he's been preaching and teaching, preaching and teaching and performing miracles now for probably about a year, maybe a little bit longer. So the crowds are growing. Because people, when they listen to Jesus, they're like, never has a person spoken like this man. And when Jesus you know, is performing these miracles, he's performing it in, you know, in the presence of eyewitnesses. So those eyewitnesses see it, and those eyewitnesses are telling other people about it. And so there's all this excitement, there's all this anticipation, there's all of this curiosity. And so people are just flocking to where Jesus is. So everywhere Jesus goes, there's a crowd. And people are talking everywhere about Jesus, all throughout Galilee, in Capernaum, in Nazareth, all the way down in pockets of Jerusalem. Jesus's popularity is skyrocketing. So he he leaves Galilee and he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, we're gonna go to Nazareth. We're gonna go to my hometown. And you would expect, I would expect, that Nazareth would be like the place that would celebrate Jesus the most. I mean, he he is the greatest son that Nazareth has ever had because nobody ever believed that anything good came from Nazareth. And now all of a sudden there's this rabbi who's teaching and preaching and people are like, we've never heard anybody, anybody preach or teach like this. And, and he's performing all of these miracles. And you would think that Nazareth would be so proud of Jesus. I, one of our favorite shows to watch at home uh, is, is American Idol. And, and I still love it after 21 seasons. And I, I love when they get towards the end of the season and they send some of these contestants back to their hometown. And when they go back to their hometown, their hometown, they just go crazy. They're like so proud and so excited. And, you know, they have a little mini concert. And and you would think that something like that may possibly happen when Jesus goes back to Nazareth. Like there would be a welcoming committee, that there would be a group of people there that would have signs up, this is the home of Jesus of Nazareth. Like like so proud. And, And so he comes to Nazareth and it says, when the Sabbath came, he went into the synagogue to teach. And many who heard him, there in Nazareth, they were amazed. And, and the, the word for amazed, it means mark, like it left a mark on them. Um, Alistair Begg, he said of this, he said, you know, the, the text says that they were amazed, not necessarily that they were impressed. So they're amazed in the sense of, wow, what is, what is this meaning that he's saying? And, and listen to how he's saying it. And, and so they're listening and, and they're filled with all of these questions. And, and so they start asking questions like, where did this man get these things? Where does he get this stuff from? Uh, What's the wisdom that's been given to him? Who did he learn under? What rabbi did he sit under? Uh, Where did he get this kind of wisdom? Uh, What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? How how can we make sense of all the things that we're hearing about all the things that he's doing throughout Galilee? I mean, they were amazed. They would never heard anybody speak like Jesus before. It was was memorable, it was thought provoking, and, and they had lots of questions like, where does he get this kind of stuff from? Did he read this somewhere? We've never heard this stuff before. Uh, Where does he get this kind of insight to the scriptures? Because maybe he read out of the prophet Isaiah, maybe he read out of the Pentateuch, we don't really know, but whatever he read and whatever he expounded on, when the people listened to him, they're like, this is amazing. And so they just had all these questions and it's like, okay, well then, how do we make sense of, of all these miracles that we're hearing about? And when it came to the people of Nazareth, at best, at best, they were hesitant to believe in Jesus. At worst, they were resistant to believe in Jesus. And you would say, well, why is that? These people should have been the first of the party. These people should have been first in line. These people should have been the quickest to believe because this is where Jesus grew up. But these people are hesitant when it comes to Jesus. These people are resistant when it comes to Jesus. And you say, why? And it's exactly for that reason, because Jesus grew up there. Jesus had become familiar to them. They knew him. They'd seen him every day for years. They'd watched him grow up. They knew Mary. They knew Joseph. They knew his brothers and his sisters. And because of it, That familiarity, it did something to them that made them hesitant, it made them resistant, it made them less willing to believe, not more willing to believe. And and this is familiarity working against them. Because why in Galilee is Jesus so well received? Why in Capernaum is Jesus so well received? But he comes back to his hometown, and there in his hometown, they're resistant, they're hesitant. And, and they, they start asking all these questions and listen to the questions and you see how familiarity is working against them. They say, isn't this the carpenter? I mean, we've bought stuff from this guy before. I mean, he makes a pretty good chair at a pretty good table, but I, you know, he's a carpenter. I mean, it's a common trade. Isn't this the carpenter guy? This is the carpenter guy, right? Isn't this Mary's son? Mary, remember Mary? I'm pregnant, but no, I'm a virgin, Mary. Remember Mary, you know, Mary we've always kind of thought might be a little crazy. Isn't this Mary's son? And isn't this the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And matter of fact, his sisters are here today. We know these people and it says, and they took offense at him. They took offense at him. Why did they take offense at Jesus? Because of familiarity. It was Jeffrey Chaucer who, who's the first person at least recorded, you know, giving credit to having coined the phrase that familiarity breeds contempt. And, and I'm not sure if he had this in mind when he wrote that, but, but in this case, familiarity certainly was breeding contempt. These people had been so close to Jesus and so close to his family for all of the years. Listen to this, they were so close, they couldn't see Jesus for who he really was. They were so close and so familiar over the years that they could really not hear when Jesus was saying the things that he was saying about who he was. They were numb by the fact, blinded by the fact that they knew Mary and Joseph and the brothers and the sisters and they'd watched Jesus grow up. They were just, let me ask you a question. Have have you ever ever met somebody like a, not, not a kid, but maybe a, an older teenager or somebody in their early 20s and you meet them and then you find out who their parents were. And like in that moment, you just kind of make a flash judgment on the kid. Just me, okay. All right, so that, that's okay. Uh, but you know, it's like, you know, you meet somebody, and it's like, you're, 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 you're so-and-so's, wh- whose kid are you? It's like, oh, so-and-so's my mom or dad. It's like, oh, oh, let's go back. Let's go back, children, let's go back. And I don't know if that's what's going on here. I, I don't, I, there, it, familiarity has just blinded them and deafened them to what is right in front of their face. It didn't expand their perspective. Their familiarity actually limited their perspective. It, it didn't expand their faith. It hindered their faith. It desensitized them. It, it made them more closed-minded, not open-minded. And it robbed them of the ability to wonder if Jesus was maybe who he claimed to be. And so then Jesus speaks up to what's going on in the moment and these are, these are words that you've heard quoted hundreds of times. And now you'll know why Jesus said them. It said, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives and in his own home. Because here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the closer that we get to something or someone, the closer that we get to someone or something, the more we know, the more proximity that we have, Uh, the less special it can become. This happens, again, in marriages, it happens in parenting, it happens in jobs. The closer that we get to something, the longer that we're in the middle of something, the greater proximity, the longer proximity that we have, the less special something becomes to us. Because by nature, we seem to be wired to be able to appreciate things and people from afar better than we're able to appreciate things and people up close. Because when we're up close and personal for a long time, the shine kind of wears off. The the glitter kind of fades away. The closer we get, the more limited our perspective becomes. So sometimes we lose a sense of gratitude for the goodness that's right in front of us. And sometimes we fail to see the total picture of what's in front of us. The closer we get, the more proximity we have, the more familiar it becomes the less we can see it as it really is. The new grows old. Excitement, wonder. You know, excitement wanes. The wonder dissipates. Gratitude kind of just fades away. And this is what's going on in Nazareth. Jesus is so familiar. His family's so familiar. They're just like, they can't see it. And he says, you can't see it because this is my hometown. You've known me for years and you're letting familiarity work against you. And so, what were the consequences of this? Well, get a load of this. It says that Jesus could not do any miracle there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now, again, this is this is a pretty big statement and... And I know, I understand, I've got lots of questions about what Mark says here, but I, I, I know that God can do anything, but I know that God has decreed and, and, and God has declared that he has chosen to work through our faith and work through our belief. And when our faith and our belief, when it intersects with God's eternal purposes and plan, then, then God decides to work and God decides to be active. And, and it says in that moment, because of their lack of faith, that, that Jesus couldn't do any miracle there except lay his hands on a few sick people and they came, you know, they got back their health. And it says that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. And this whole story began with them being amazed at Jesus' teaching. And now he's amazed at their lack of faith. And why did they have a lack of faith? Because familiarity had stifled their faith. And it began to limit what God was able to do in and through them there in Nazareth. It had blinded them to not only the work of God, but it had blinded them to God that was right in front of them. And what happened to them, I don't want to happen to you and I don't want it to happen to me and I don't want it to happen to us. I don't want the work of God. I don't want the things of our faith to become so familiar to us that we lose sight of the goodness of God all around us. I don't want us to lose sight of the activity of God all around us and I don't want us to lose sight of God that's right in front of us. That God who's moving and working always in your life and in my life I don't want the things of my faith and and the things of the church to become so familiar to you and to me and to us that we stop feeling a sense of gratitude for all that God has done. And I don't want us to take it for granted and I don't want it to become something that's common. And I don't want us to forfeit our passion, our excitement, our commitment, our vision, our wonder, our hunger, our thirst because of familiarity. And, And this is what happened in Nazareth. Now. Again, I'm gonna give you one other thing and then I'm wrapping it up. Moses warned the nation of Israel about this. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, they're getting ready to cross over to the land of conquest. Moses is about to pass away, Joseph's gonna take over. And it's like a last warning to Israel. It's like a last sermon, it's called the book of Deuteronomy. And this is what Moses says to him. He says, I want you to remember, I want you to remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years. In other words, I don't want you to forget everything that God's done for you. Don't forget where God found you down in Egypt, brought you across the Red Sea. He's been sustaining you by bread from heaven, water from a rock, fire by day, cloud by night. Don't, don't forget about these 40 years that you've been walking around the desert and the wilderness and your feet haven't swollen and your shoes haven't worn out. Don't forget about that. Don't forget about all the answered prayers. Don't forget about what God has done. Don't forget about all the wins. Don't forget about all the victories. Don't forget about all the steps forward. Don't forget about that. And why would he say that? Because it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget. So he goes on, he says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks, streams, deep springs, gushing out into the valleys and the hill. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce, you'll lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, when you are enjoying all the goodness of God, when you're enjoying all of these answer to prayers, don't fail to see it, acknowledge it, and praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you, don't ever forget who did this. Don't ever forget who did this. And then he gives them this, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, because the danger when you're eating from vineyards you didn't plant, and you're drinking from wells you didn't dig, and you're living in houses that you didn't build, and you're walking around, and there's bread, and there's copper, and there's iron, and there's everything you need, beware of the day that it all becomes so familiar that you forget. That you forget what God has done and that you begin to ignore what God is doing and you begin to underestimate what God wants to do. One writer put it this way, familiarity makes us to be lethargic and nonchalant about matters of importance. It makes us to be careless with relationships and opportunities that would have added so much value to us. Familiarity makes us to have a low sense of value for matters and people of momentous significance. It does not allow us to place accurate value on opportunities, serious matters and events, thereby leading to untold devaluation, depreciation, and losses. And this happens to people like us all the time. God is good. God answers prayers. God surrounds us with blessings and then those blessings over time just become common. They become expected. They become just part of the landscape and pretty soon we become numb to it. It stifles our faith. It squashes our gratitude. It takes away our passion and our excitement and it robs us of the ability to wonder. And all of a sudden we're just going through life and we're busy and we're blessed, but we feel more busy than we feel blessed. We appreciate things from afar, but up close, we take things, we take people for granted. We fail to treasure the goodness of God that he's placed in our lives. And for us as a church, I don't want us to do this because God has been so good to us for the last For the last many years, God has been good to us. I don't want us to forget where God found us. I don't want us to forget about 40 or so people who kick-started this thing that's now numbering into thousands of people. I don't want us to forget that 2,000 people have been baptized in the last decade or so. I I don't want us to forget about all the families that have come and and found meaning and purpose in their life. And I don't want us to forget that the next generation is being shaped and molded in a way that the faith of the next generation is gonna be solid, it's gonna be secure, it's gonna be anchored. I don't want us to forget that God's doing a work in us and God's doing a work through us because God's doing a work in you and God's doing a work through you. I don't want us to lose sight of that. I don't want our faith to be stifled. I want our faith to be unleashed. I don't want our passion to wane. I want our passion to blow up. I want our excitement to be at an all time high. I want our enthusiasm to be at an all time high. I want us to have a sense of wonder, just amazed at what God has done, what God has done. And to not lose the wonder of that and not lose the gratitude for that. And it's so easy to do. We walk in here week after week and month after month and, and, and just every week, I just love it every single week. And, and after a while, you can just take it for granted. And after a while, it can just become common. And after a while, it can just feel normal, but it's not normal. What God has chosen to do in and through you is not normal. It's not average. It's not what's expected. So let's not let it become familiar. Let's do our best to keep it fresh. Let's do our best not to be like the church at Ephesus who wandered away from their first love. Let's do our best not to be like the church at Galatia who started well, but then they started devouring themselves and destroying each other. Let's not do that. Here's what I want to I just wanna leave you with this, heading into Easter, and This is the whole thing I've been wanting to kinda just hit on for like the last three weeks. To keep things fresh, not only this upcoming week, but to keep things fresh in the weeks to come. If I could get you to do two things consistently, this would be it. If I could get all of us to do two things consistently, be this right here. Pray big and just invite boldly. Pray big and invite boldly. Pray big prayers. Pray big prayers for you. Pray big prayers for your family. Pray big prayers for those people that you go to church with. Pray big prayers for our church. Pray big prayers for our community. Pray big prayers for this nation. Pray big prayers for this world. Just pray big prayers. Pray embarrassingly big prayers. Just embarrassing prayers. That there's no hope of that prayer ever coming to pass unless God does it. Pray those kind of prayers. And then invite boldly family members, co-workers, neighbors, strangers when the opportunity avails itself. But pray big and invite boldly. And, and what we'll discover is this, this keeps it fresh. This keeps familiarity at bay because the more that we're praying for God to do something, it keeps us focused. It keeps us mindful of what God has done with the faith to believe that God can do it bigger and greater, far more than we could ever ask or think. And then as we're inviting boldly, it puts our eyes on the fields that Jesus said are white, they're ready for harvest. There's thousands of people in Laurel County, thousands of people in Laurel County that have not chosen to go to church in years. And many of them are just waiting on an invite Perhaps from you, perhaps from you, perhaps from you. People disconnected from their faith. And maybe this Easter would be the time to say, hey, come sit with me. And then just pray big prayers for God to change lives, not only at Easter, but all the weeks that follow. Let's not let the goodness of God become so familiar that we begin to limit what God can do in us and through us. Let's not miss God because of familiarity. Let's bow our heads. We're gonna sing a song in just a moment. And maybe today, maybe today's a great opportunity for, for all of us, for some of us to do what in the church that I grew up in, they called it rededicating your life. Rededicating your life to the mission love God, love people, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your neighbor as Christ has loved us, to make disciples, to to recommit to what's most important, to recommit to this message of grace and love and mercy, which is the good news that the world desperately needs to hear. And maybe today, fresh, fresh faith is your need because fresh, fresh faith is something that you haven't sensed in a while. And your faith's become a bit stagnant and commitment's become a bit stagnant and your passion's not what it once was. And there was a time when you were more excited and more passionate. And maybe today's the day you would just say, God, today I'm coming back. I'm gonna make the most important, the most important thing. I'm gonna fix my eyes on you. I'm gonna fix my eyes on you. And I want your heart to be my heart. And maybe today that's our commitment. That's our prayer. So Father, speak to us as only you can, in Jesus' name.